Good morning, good morning. It's great to see everybody. Welcome to Gateway Baptist Church. If you're visiting with us for the first time, so glad you're here to be with us this morning in worship. Um, hope you guys have been having a great weekend so far. Just as a reminder, guys, I hope y'all never take for granted the fact we can do this. Amen. Every Sunday morning. Um, been doing a lot looking at the IMB and missionaries around the world and just hearing stories of persecution and people right now across the world are being persecuted for what we're doing right now. So I just hope you value this time of community and discipleship, connection, being together as a family, and that we just never take for granted we can come in here and worship the Lord and declare who he is um, and just enjoy our time together. Sorry, I'm a little out of breath. I'm out of shape. <laughs> Running around the sanctuary, touching bases, folks. Just a couple things first to kick off. Some opportunities to serve. There's some uh, positions that we need some help in. First off is the dudes in the sound booth. I'm sure they're going to be like, yes, please let us know. The first one is the one that does projection. He works with the pro presenter. Some of the guys, um, men or women, whoever want to participate. This is everything that happens up on the screen. Uh, you'd be involved in just hitting little buttons and progression with the songs and uh, different things about the slides. There's some need there. Also need with the sound tech, uh, running the soundboard. Some of you may have an ear for that and been involved with that at other churches or doing concerts or different things. Uh, we need a sound tech um, volunteers. And also for the live, st live stream controllers, those guys that help with the live stream broadcast and help with the cameras and things of that nature up there and facilitating all of that. So all of this happens on a rotation basis. So you would do it once every few weeks. And so if you have any interest in any of those areas, please talk to our music minister, Justin. And uh, he would love to talk to you about some of those opportunities. Also, we need some help with our youngins, with our littles. God has blessed us so much with a growth of young uh, little ones and some kids uh, with families coming and visiting. So we need some help from babies through kindergarten and the nursery. Uh, opportunities on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. So our uh, children's minister, Director Molly, is not here right now. Um, but you can talk to her, email her, all of the emails for our staff, myself, Grady, um, Molly, and Justin are all on our website at gatewaybaptist.com. So you can either email one of us or talk to them directly. So just great opportunities to serve the body in different ways um, and use your giftings for the glory of the Lord. So I just want to make you aware of that. Just another friendly reminder, Wednesday nights are cranking. We're so excited. The Lord has got our fall schedule going. So opportunities for the kids and youth, college students are meeting at the Rotebeck's house. We have an adult men's uh, Bible study and two women's Bible studies that are going on. Not too late to join. We're just in week three. So uh, just pray about that to see if you want to be a part of community and some discipleship. Men, backpacking. Preparing yourselves in October 16th and 17th, your pastor scoped the new area they went to. This past weekend, Grady and Brad Mooney and Mike Presley went out to Pine Mountain in Georgia, kind of scoped the landscape for you guys. And so October 16th and 17th, Saturday and Sunday, there's an opportunity to go backpacking overnight. Details and registration are on the website. Also, just a friendly reminder, I sent this out a, probably a week and a half ago on the Gateway Community Facebook page, an opportunity to support Haiti. Um, there's a fundraiser that's taking place this Thursday night at 7 o'clock at First Baptist. Shane and Shane's coming for a worship night. The tickets are $100, and I know that's maybe steep, but it's for a fundraiser. It's for a cause. You're, you're giving this money to support the work in Haiti with the earthquakes, the food provision, the gospel going forward. And uh, there's an opportunity for a raffle 
uh, to win a beautiful guitar. But for those that are interested, there are tickets still available. Uh, Zach Stewart let us know. He's helping lead the young adult ministry right here at Gateway that night, Thursday night. Uh, their ministry has invested in purchasing the live stream portion of that. So if you want to come here and enjoy the worship service um, that night, you can come to Gateway and they're going to live stream it together. So if you want to come be a part of that with the young adult group, the invitation is there here on the campus. I wanted to see one last thing. Is Elijah and Kira here yet? Okay, maybe they... Uh, there's a young couple that's been a part of this for many years. Uh, this is their last Sunday. We wanted to pray for them. At the end, they were going to try to make it. They're heading to Seattle. Um, Elijah's been like our second son for many years, and they just recently got married. And if they come in, we'll have them come forward for prayer at the end. All right. You guys ready to worship the Lord and rejoice in Him? Let's stand together. Have a wonderful opportunity to praise God and... Let me declare Psalm 93 for us to set the tone for our hearts as we worship the Lord through song. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Let's worship our Lord this morning.
sing together. You ready? Show us, show us your glory. Show us, show us your power. Show us, show us your glory. Show us, show us your glory. Show us, show us your power. Show us, show us your glory, was lost. I was lost in sin, held captive by my fear, till your mercy showed, your hand was reaching near, my God, you came and made a way for me, you made a way for me.
Let's pray together. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted, his majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Father, what an opportunity it is to come together on a Sunday to get out of the work week that we all have been a part of and everything that is going on and that keeps our eyes close to here for, for this time to lift up our eyes and our hearts and our voices to heaven to praise you. So here we are to worship, Lord. We pray that you would do work in us. And in that spirit of worship, we come to you now and submit these prayer requests and ask for your will to be done, for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And so specifically, we lift up our Gateway College group and Seth and Megan as they continue to minister to them. We pray for those students that they would be a light for you on their campuses, that they would share the gospel with their classmates and friends, and that you would continue to build that community as a place for people to come and to glorify your name together. We pray for the Montgomery Baptist Association Love Loud uh, Food Ministry with Jeremy Lynch as they continue to facilitate uh, food distribution to those people that are in need. Lord, you have, called, you have told us to not forget the poor. And so, Lord, bless this ministry as they continue to love people with food and love them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for our, our brother Rick Evans, the pastor at Delreda Baptist Church, as they are seeking to minister in their community over in Delreda and that surrounding area. Lord, let that church be a beacon of the gospel in the midst of that neighborhood and the people nearby. We pray for Pastor Mark in Haiti. Uh, Lord, what a joy it is to partner with him there. And as he's ministering to people in great need as they recover from the earthquake there. Give him blessing, give him rest, give him peace, and give him energy to continue to love people well and to take the gospel to them as he meets their needs, as you meet their needs through them. And we're in our prayer and global missions this week, God. We pray for the ministry in Bogota, Colombia, and the one that's ministering to uh, indigenous groups within the city. Um, that specific missionary, as he has started to gather people around reading your word. And we know that your word works and that you work through your word to bring hearts to you. So we pray that you will do that in Jesus' name. God, thank you for the privilege of being able to, to give back to you our offering. 
Lord, we know that this is all yours. Nothing we have is ours. It is all yours. And so when you say give some back, we do out of cheerful hearts. And we pray that you would bring our hearts into worship in that way. And finally, for Grady, as he shares this morning, we pray that you would give him the words to say, as as you've already been doing this week. And we pray that you would give us attentive hearts and attentive ears. We lift all of this in the great name of Jesus in full submission to the work of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And boys and girls, first to fourth grade are dismissed to kids' worship. So first to fourth graders, if you'll head right there, Mr. Seth and Miss Megan. We're going to have a fun group this morning. Well, it's good to see you, Gateway family, as the boys and girls are headed to kids' worship. Let me ask you to find in your copy of God's Word, Hebrews chapter 2 this morning. Hebrews chapter 2 this morning. We have been focusing on recent weeks on the concept of redemption. We just sung about redemption this morning. I just want to remind us of what redemption means. The word redeem is a word that literally means to buy back. It's the idea that something you had was lost or was stolen or was taken from you, and so you gladly pay a price to redeem it, to buy it back. Now, we see the idea of redemption all throughout Scripture, and in Scripture, the question is, what needs to be redeemed? And you already know from the last several weeks, the answer of what needs to be redeemed is us. We need to be redeemed because we are all sinners. We've all rejected God and His law. We all owe a debt to God for breaking His law. It's a debt we can never repay. So our only hope is having a Redeemer to pay the debt for us that we could never repay. Now, real quick before I go, and hey guys in the booth, could y'all cut off the flood, some of the bright floodlights on me? I like to be able to see people and it's a little bit blinding. There we go. Okay, I can see you guys in the middle again. Otherwise, y'all were just a blur. So thank you for that. So we've been learning a lot about this Redeemer. If you think back two weeks ago, we saw in Isaiah chapter 53, 700 years before the Redeemer came, we learned about what he would do, how God the Father would send God the Son to crush him. From Isaiah 53, the language was to put him to grief in order to pay for our sins, to redeem us, to rescue us. And here in Isaiah 53, he was called the servant. And so to learn more about who the Redeemer was, last week we jumped into Galatians chapter 1, 700 years later to see this Redeemer that was prophesied in Isaiah 53 was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians 1, we see so much about who the Redeemer is, how he is God and how he willingly died in our place and how he did so to take the punishment for our sins and how he did so to free us from the power of sin so we would not have control over us. And we saw last week how everything the Redeemer did was in perfect submission to the will of of the Father. But we also saw last week that everything he did was for the glory of God. That our redemption was not so much about us, but it's about the glory of God and God's character, his nature, his beauty being seen. So it's all for the glory of God. Now, with that foundation in place, we now begin this morning part two of the New City Catechism. So if you're following along with the catechism that's guiding us through our study of being rooted and grounded in the Word of God, we begin the blue section of the catechism, part two on Christ, redemption, and grace. Let me just remind you, if you don't have a copy of it, they're on the table in the back, they're on the table out in the lobby out there, they're in the resource center. We'd love for you to have a copy of the catechism so you can be reviewing the questions each week. So today we begin part two, Christ, redemption, and grace. As we begin part two, we're actually going to skip the first question of part two. How's that a great way to start a new section of the catechism, right? The first question of this new section of the catechism that's guiding us is the question, what type of redeemer is needed? And it's a great question and the great answer, and the great answer to that is you need a redeemer who's fully God and fully man. Now, why are we skipping the question? Because the next two questions unpack that. They explain for us. So this morning, we're going to start with question number 22 from our catechism, and that is, why must the redeemer be truly human? 
Why must the Redeemer be truly human? We'll talk about that, dig into that this morning. And then next Sunday, we'll dig into the follow-up to that. Why must the Redeemer be truly God? So again, question 21 kind of introduces the concept. And now this week and next week, we'll go a lot deeper into how the Redeemer must be truly God and how he must be truly human. So what type of Redeemer is needed? A Redeemer who's both fully God and fully Man. Now, as we think about why the Redeemer needed to be truly human, there's a lot of different places we could look in Scripture. But today we're going to start with Hebrews chapter 2. Because perhaps no text better in Scripture shows us not just that the Redeemer is a man and fully God also, but why it was necessary for God to become man to redeem us. Now, some background to today's text as we're in the book of Hebrews here. This is a book in the New Testament. We do not know who the author is. The author does not tell us his name. Now, there's lots of speculation, lots of theories out there. We just simply don't know, friends, because we're not told who it is. But we know that God has given us this word here. This book was written in the first century, around 70 AD or before. So this is a book early in the early decades of the life of the early church. It's a book that shows us the greatness of Christ. So it's a great book to go to to learn about the Redeemer. And it's a book particularly that calls us to be faithful in the midst of the hardships of life. And for the questions at hand, it's a great place to turn because in chapter 1 of Hebrews, we see the deity of Christ. We see how he is fully God. And then you come to to, um, Hebrews chapter 2 and you see the humanity of Christ, how he is fully man as well. Today we're going to look at the conclusion of chapter 2. We're going to get brave this morning and try five verses this morning. I know that's a lot for us, but we're going to try five verses this morning in Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to look at particularly verses 14 to 18 this morning. As we read our text this morning, be looking for not just that Jesus was fully God and fully man, but be looking for why was it necessary for Jesus to come as a man. So with that in view, let's look at our text together. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. I'll be reading out the English Standard Version, and we'll also have the words on the screen for us. Starting in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. And let the wonder of this text just sink in as we read it. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood... He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your word. Thank you for showing us more of who you are. And I pray as we dig in this morning to why the Redeemer needed to be a man. I pray that the wonder of the incarnation, the wonder of Emmanuel, God with us, of Christ coming in human flesh would just blow our minds, Lord. For many of us who've grown up in the church, we've heard the story of Jesus coming as a man and being born. And Lord, I think the familiarity of it sometimes can make us kind of numb to the wonder of it. So would you stir our hearts affection? Would your Holy Spirit be working in us to see the wonder of what it is that the Redeemer was fully God and fully man and how that transforms and changes us? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So as we dig in the text this morning, before we start digging through this, I want to go and tell you the answer to the question. Then we'll kind of unpack it. So why must the Redeemer be truly human? Here's our answer to guide us this morning. By being truly human, the Redeemer could die to rescue us from our sins and help us in our weakness. So why was it necessary for the Redeemer to not just be fully God, but also fully man? He had to be truly human so he could die to rescue us from our sins and to help us 
in our weakness. Scripture assures us that God came in human flesh. This is not an illusion. It's not a myth. This is real. That God has taken on human flesh in Christ Jesus himself. Though he's always been God, he became fully man and came to earth. And that was necessary for his people to be rescued for sin. That was necessary for him to help us in our weakness. Jesus coming as a man, what we call the incarnation, was not just a nice thought. It was an absolute necessity in the sovereign plan of a holy God to be drawing out a people for himself. By being truly human, the Redeemer could die to rescue us from our sins and to help us in our weakness. Now let's take that apart and think about what we, how we see that this morning in Hebrews chapter 2. Let's start with the fact that Jesus, the Redeemer, was in fact truly human. That this was not a myth, this was not just some appearance, but he was actually God in human flesh. Notice how our text describes it. Go back to verse 14 this morning, the first verse in our passage for consideration today. Notice how it begins. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing. So this begins, it says the children. Now this is not, this is a reference to God's followers. It's not a put down, but it's a way of describing people who've been adopted into God's family. When people believe in Christ, they become part of God's family, God's kingdom. So they're called children here. And like the rest of humanity, it says they have flesh and blood. I can pinch you, you can pinch me, we can see we have flesh. You cut ourselves, we have blood, right? It's just a description for us of our humanity in this. And it says here in verse 14 that the Redeemer, this is all talking about that he's here, or Christ, that he himself likewise partook of the same things. That Christ partook of the same things. What are the same things? Flesh and blood. The God came and took the form of a human, had a real body of flesh and blood. But do not miss this word partook. This is a really important word here. That means it was a deliberate decision that God made to come and take on human flesh. He wasn't coerced to do so. It wasn't just an accidental thought. Like, he chose to partake. He chose to come. The second person of the triune God who's always existed chose to come and take on human flesh. He partook of the same nature as us. You see this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. Once you see that up on the screen here. In Philippians 2, it's, we're told to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It goes on in verse 6 to say, Who, though he was in the form of God... Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now notice verse 7 here. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Just another way of saying what we're seeing in Hebrews here, that he partook of the same things. He partook of flesh and blood. And this truth is so important if you go back to Hebrews 2. He doesn't just tell us this in verse 14. He repeats it again in verse 17. This truth that he had, the Redeemer had to be man is so important the author repeats it. Look at verse 17. Therefore... He, this is still talking about Christ, he had to be made like his brothers in how many respects? What's that next word there? In every respect, in all respects, in every respect, Christ had to take on human flesh. Now think about that. You see this all throughout Scripture of how he was fully man. Though his conception was obviously supernatural, he still developed in his mother's womb for 40 weeks like every other baby develops in his or her mother's womb. So you get a glimpse of that in Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Luke 1, 30 to 31, the angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. In verse 31, we keep hearing, And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And Jesus developed in the womb of Mary the way every other baby develops in the womb of his or her parents, or his or her mom. Now, Jesus was also born the way babies were born. Again, kind of a different setting, but Luke chapter 2, verse 7, He was born the way all babies come into the world here. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Now, I know we love to sing the song Silent Night, but I'm not sure it was really such a silent night, right? 
When babies come in the world, it's not a very quiet experience for the mom or for the baby. And it was no different, though he was God in human flesh. He came in the world the way every baby comes in the world, and that's not exactly a pleasant experience. Now, as he was born, Jesus now fully God, fully man, but as fully man, he grew mentally and physically. That Jesus grew mentally and physically. Luke chapter 2, verse 52 is an amazing verse to tell us. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. And in favor with God and man. Now try to get your mind around that. This is Jesus, fully God, always existed. And now he's growing in wisdom. How? In his humanness, in his human life experience. Jesus didn't come out of the womb talking in multiple languages. I mean, he was God. He could do whatever. But in his humanness, when he was born, he didn't look at his mom and say, Good morning, mother. Bonjour. And you know, ni hao. And start speaking all these languages. Like, Which language does my child speak? No, no, no. Yes, he's God, but he's also come fully as a man. And so he had to learn how to speak. He had to learn how to crawl and walk and talk. And yes, Boys and girls, he had to learn how to potty train, just like you did when you were little. Like, I mean, he had to learn all the life skills that we went through. He went through growing up. He became a teenager. He grew in wisdom and in stature. Jesus was fully man as well. That means he also learned to listen to his parents and obey them. You go back one verse to Luke chapter 2, verse 51, and you see that. And he, Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. His mother treasured up all these things in her heart. I guess so, if your child never wants to disobey you, right? That'd be silly to treasure up in your heart there. But he learned to listen to his parents, the way children learn to listen to their parents. And he learned to obey them and submit to them. Jesus learned to work a job. He had a job as well. He was a carpenter. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. He learned a skill and he worked with his hands. When he goes back to his town, people weren't believing him. And here, what they say? Is this not the carpenter? They've seen him work. They've seen him build things. How cool would that be? You have a chair and a table in your kitchen built by Jesus, right? This is not this is a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And ours, not his sisters here with us. And they took offense at him that Jesus had a job. He built things. And he did all the human life functions as well. That means he did everything you and I have to do to survive. Luke chapter 24, verse 41. This is even after his resurrection. You see him. While they still believed for joy, they were marveling. He said to him, do you have anything to eat? Verse 42. He goes on. They gave him, Jesus, a piece of broiled fish, verse 43 here. He took it, and he ate it before them. Jesus did everything that we do. He ate meals. He drank water and drank drinks. He got tired, and he slept, and he got up, and he walked. And yes, again, boys and girls, Jesus had to go to the bathroom. He was fully human. He had to do all the human life functions that you and I have to do. That also means that he felt emotions, and he learned to express emotions. John chapter 11, verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, simply tells us that Jesus wept. He had all the human emotions we had. He felt joy and delight. He felt sadness. He went through the range of human emotions and grew in his understanding of emotions, just as you and I grow in our understanding of emotions as we mature as well. So you take all those things and more we can say, and you go back to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, and so we can simply conclude, therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers, again, in how many respects? In every respect. He took on humanity in all ways in that, that he became fully man. Now that leads to the, that's the what, friends, that he became fully man, but that's the, now's the why question. Why was it necessary for God to do this? Why was it necessary for God to take on human flesh and to come and be a baby and grow and obey his parents and learn to eat and crawl and do all those things? Why did he have to be a man? And we're told in this verse, in verse 17, look back at it. Therefore, he had to be made. Don't miss that phrase. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Why did this have to happen in the sovereign plan of God? Next, so that, here's the reason. He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Now, that's a lot of words to simply tell us he had to become a man 
in order to die. He had to become a man in order to die, to die for us. We've seen in our studies of redemption in recent weeks that the price of redemption is death. It's the death of the Redeemer. The Old Testament has been pointing to this for a long time. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, if you look a little bit ahead in Hebrews, we see how it's pointing us to this. Indeed, under the law, with the Old Testament here, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. All the imagery of the sacrifice in the Old Testament were pointing to the fact a Redeemer would come and be the ultimate sacrifice and would give His own life, shed His own blood to purchase our redemption. And the catch is, the Redeemer had to be a perfect sacrifice. A sinful person cannot atone for another sinful person. The only way redemption can happen is if someone who's innocent pays the price for someone who's guilty. And the problem is there's only one who's innocent, and that's God himself. Every other human is fallen. There's no way we can redeem each other. Only God is perfect. But don't miss something here. There's a problem with this. God is a spirit. Spirit can't die. God himself cannot be killed. So how can God redeem us, a people, and die for us when he is a spirit? This is the necessity of the incarnation, that God took on human flesh. In his amazing wisdom, God himself, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, who has always existed as God, takes on human flesh to come live a perfect life to fulfill the law. You and I break to then be able to die in our place as fully God and fully man. It was necessary for God to come in human flesh and be truly a man in order to die in our place. Place. We see a little glimpse of this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7, I think we have it up on the screen for you. I think it's coming up there. Maybe, not flip over to it. Okay. Sorry, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. I think I told you wrong. Sorry about that, Joe. There, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. There we go. He made himself, it helps if I tell you the right verse, right? He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Notice, being born and the likeness of men. Same thing that we were just seeing. He took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. Now verse 8. Keep going and see what he did next. We looked at that a minute ago. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Redeemer came. He took on the form of a servant. Back to the imagery of Isaiah 53. He came to live as a man in order to be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which is what we're seeing. Go back to verse 17 of our text this morning in Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews two seventeen, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a meaningful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make, notice this, propitiation for the sins of the people. Now this is a massively significant phrase here, that he had to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now what in the world does that mean? To propitiate something means you appease the wrath of someone. To propitiate is to appease the wrath of something. So propitiation then is a sacrifice that satisfies the wrath of God. It is a sacrifice that satisfies the wrath of God. And so Jesus had to come to be the sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of God. Now we've talked about this before, but let me remind us, wrath is not an attribute of God we need to apologize for. It's not saying we need to be timid about it. The Bible speaks about the wrath of God. I say good attribute of God is part of his character because it reflects his holiness. God's wrath is simply his righteous expression of anger towards all sin. His wrath is his righteous expression of anger towards sin. God's wrath has to be put out on every sin. God can't be like, yeah, I'm going to do away with my wrath because he ceased to be holy and good. So his wrath will be expressed. Either we experience it for all eternity because we offended his holiness or a redeemer takes it in our place. So God did not stop his wrath. Rather, Christ absorbed his wrath. He appeased the wrath. He took it gladly himself instead of being put on his 
people. So the Redeemer had to become a perfect man in order to be able to die. Now, what does he accomplish by dying for us? What does the Redeemer accomplish in dying for us? Two things. One we're just talking about right here. He rescues us from our sin. He takes the wrath you and I deserve. We see it here in what we're just talking about with propitiation. But also go back to verse 14. Look at how the author of Hebrews describes what Christ accomplishes coming fully as a man and dying for us. Verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, here it is again, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, that he destroys the one who has power of death. He destroys Satan, the devil, a very real spiritual being who's opposed to God and opposed to God's people, that he will defeat the devil, he will defeat death. And we get a glimpse of this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. In Colossians 2, we see that Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now notice verse 15, what happens on the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now in scripture you'll see this phrase rulers and authorities seen in Ephesians as well. This is a phrase for the demonic realm, for Satan and demons, that Jesus on the cross disarmed the rulers and the authorities. And that's exactly what we're seeing back in verse 14 here, that he has delivered us. He has destroyed the one who has the power of death. He has disarmed the one who has the power over death. And so with death disarmed, with Satan defeated, what does he do? Go back to our text today to verse 15. He delivers all those who through fear of death were subjects to lifelong slavery. He delivers us, he rescues us, people who share in flesh and blood. It says he rescues us who were enslaved to the fear of death. Now that's an interesting way to put it. What's he saying here? Fear of death, yes, is a common human experience, but he's talking particularly here about fear of judgment, fear of eternal judgment, fear of death and seeing God, holy God, face to face, that those who he delivers, he rescues from that type of fear, that we do not have to be afraid of death. I love how Paul describes it, 1 Corinthians 15, 55. It's an amazing just phrase here. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? That for a follower of Christ who've had our sins forgiven because Christ has been the propitiation for our sins, the one who can now do this for us because he's destroyed the one who has the power of death, we are now delivered and rescued from the power of death so we can say, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It doesn't mean we won't die, but it means we don't have to fear that death because we will never see that judgment of a holy God against our sins because it's already been fully paid for in Christ. Now, that's what we, a lot of what we focused on in recent weeks as we think about Christ dying for our sins. But the second thing that this text shows us of what happens, what's accomplished when Christ comes as a man on our behalf. And I want us to really think on this one and chew on this one. Because this is astonishing. The second thing we see of what happens, why Christ had to be fully man. Secondly, is because he has to be able to help us in our weakness. He has to help us in our weakness. And by becoming fully man, Christ can help us in our weakness. Look at verse 16 here. Look at this verse here. For sure, this is back in Hebrews 2. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Now just stop right there for a second. Do you realize that angels also rebelled? That there were angels who followed Satan. We call them demons. Now they're fallen angels. And God didn't give them a second chance. He didn't redeem them. The angels who rebelled against God were cast into hell, and they were never given a chance to repent of their sin. And it was holy and right and good for God to condemn those fallen angels. He would have been just as holy and righteous and good if he condemned all of humanity for our sin as well. But he instead made a way to rescue us where he did not make a way to rescue angels. He now helps his people. But there's something here important. This word helps is a little bit too weak of a translation. There's always limitations when we go from the original language of the Bible 
to modern languages. And so when you see the word helps here, that can just that doesn't really tell us much. This Greek word for helps means literally to take hold of something. It means to take up the cause of something. So what it's saying here for us in, in verse 16 was, for surely it's not angels that he takes hold of. But he takes hold of the children of Abraham. He takes hold of people. It's not just angels that he now takes up the cause of. He takes up the cause of his people. Now, how does he take hold of us? How does he help us? Well, if you look a little bit further into Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, you will see a glimpse of that. This is an amazing text as well. Same imagery we're seeing in Hebrews 2. Since then, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, is hold fast our confession. Remember, this whole book is about helping us stay faithful to the Lord through all the hardships of life. Now, verse 15, look at how we can hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Now, stop right there. We do not have a God who's just up here in heaven looking on them and being like, man, those people are so weak. I wish they could get their act together. I wonder why they keep sinning. I wonder why they keep struggling. Like, he's not a distant God who's looking down. He says, but we have a high priest who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That Christ, by coming as a man, experientially has walked through everything you have walked through in terms of temptation and struggles. He's been there, and yet he never fell. Verse 16 continues for us. Let us then with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Friends, the fact that God became fully man becomes the incredible anchor of hope for you and I as we walk through the hardships of this life. Friends, that means there's nothing that you will ever be tempted with that Christ was not tempted with. Now let that sink in. When you think about the temptations you get bombarded with, you have never faced a temptation that Christ himself, as he was a human walking on earth, never himself did not face as well. Christ found victory over every temptation you and I have ever faced. That idea is so important is repeated here in Hebrews chapter 2. Look at verse 18, the concluding verse of the author's argument here about the humanity of Christ. It all builds to this in verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help. He's able to take hold of. He's able to take up the cause of those who are being tempted. You let that wonder that sink in. That when you are being tempted, Christ is able to hold you Christ is able to take up your calls and strengthen you because he himself has suffered when tempted. He has endured every temptation that we have endured and more, and so therefore he is able to help us. Now, as you talk to people about this, some people object to this idea of whether or not Christ can really help you. And they'll be like, listen, he never sinned. How can he really know what I'm going through? Because I sinned, he never did. He's God. There's no way that that really can help me. But friends, it actually tells us here, and I want to counter that, that he actually can help us better because he never sinned. Think about that. Whatever temptation you struggle with, here's the threshold. You get tempted to a certain level and you fall. He's going beyond that. Whatever that, that struggle is that you have and you endure to this point and then you fall, he's endured to this point and this point and even higher up, but he never fell in it. He's endured every temptation you endured magnified many times because he never fell like we fall to temptation. So Christ is, in fact, fully man, going through all the experiences of being a real man. Therefore, he can identify with you in your struggle because he had those things thrown at him as well, and he resisted every temptation that came. That means there's no one who can understand your struggle better than Christ. There is no one who can understand your pain better than Christ. There's no one who can understand your temptation better than Christ. And he wants to hold you. Verse 18, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to take up your calls when you are tempted. He is able to hold you when you are tempted. He has been there himself and he is ready to walk with you through it. 
So I was thinking on that this week, I was, and I was reading different authors' take on this. One author had a really helpful illustration of it. And it goes back to the childbirth analogy. That when a woman is in labor, she likes to have her husband there with her, right? You know, she likes to have someone there to hold her hand and encourage her. But the husband, and I can speak to this, I have four kids, we're kind of limited in how we can help in that point, right? We've never been there. We've never walked that journey. I'm sorry, guys. Our man colds are just nothing like what she's going through while she's having in the middle of labor. So we can be there and we can try to love her and pray for her and encourage her. But we're not able to provide the support that another mom who's had a baby can be because she knows exactly what the mom is going through in labor. She's felt the pains that we've never felt. She's experienced all that herself and is able then to help coach and help her get through it. That's why they don't leave childbirth just to the men. That's why we're not the ones at home alone trying to get the baby out, right? We don't know. We don't experience. We don't understand. But when a woman who has been through that has been there, she can help. How much more so in the world of walking with God and the hardships of life? That God is not just at a distance being like, yeah, I know it's hard for you. You're limited people. Oh, deal with it. He himself became human flesh. He was tempted with every temptation you and I face. He's felt physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. He's felt every pain, all types of hardships. He's endured temptation, and he did so with joy, keeping his eyes on the cross and his eyes on the Father. And he endured and was victorious over everyone. And he says, I understand. I know what you're going through, and I'm here to walk with you. I'm here to take hold of you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to take up your cause. Friends, the reality is this week... Many of you have faced things very difficult and painful. The reality is this week, every single one of us, with no exception, has faced temptations. We face temptations in the last 24 hours. We face temptations driving to church this morning, right? You know, we face temptations every moment of every day. And Christ says, I understand because I was truly a man. I came as God in human flesh. I know what you're facing. Let me take hold of you. Let me take up your cause. I want to help you. So let's bring all this together, friends. Why was it necessary for the Redeemer to be truly human? Let's go back to our main idea for the morning. Our answer to the question, why must the Redeemer be human? Because by being truly human, he could die to rescue us from our sins. But let's not stop there. He didn't just die to rescue us from our sins. He became a man who died for us to also help us in our weakness. The Redeemer came, fully God, fully man, in order to rescue us from our sins and to help us in our weakness, to take hold of us and take up our cause. So two questions for you this morning as we close. Number one. Are you confident that Jesus has delivered you from your sin? Are you confident that he has rescued you from your sin? That the wrath of God that you deserve has been put on Christ? Are you confident that he has taken it for you? And can you say with confidence, you look at death whenever that comes for each one of us, and say, oh, death, where's your victory? Or death, where's your sting? Do you know you have, do not have to fear death because Christ has redeemed you? But second of all, friends, if so, are you running to Jesus for help when you're struggling and tempted? Are you running to Jesus for help when you're struggling and when you're tempted? Friends, we are a very proud people. We are a very self-confident people. We are very self-reliant people. And particularly when it comes to admitting our own weaknesses, admitting our struggles, admitting our, our pain, admitting our temptations, we kind of internalize and close off and go, I'm going to get this. Our culture of self-individualism has just, we, so many of us have bought into it to think, I can do this, I can get through this, I can just, I'm not going to let it get me this time, and we come up with all sorts of reasons to justify how we're going to solve it this time. And Jesus is saying, I have been a human. I have walked your shoes. I know your pain. I know it even more. I know all you're going through. I know the temptation. I faced that same temptation. I was victorious. Let me help you. And Jesus is offering us, let me take up your calls. Let me take hold of you. We're going, no, no, I got it. And we fall flat on our face 
again. Friends, if you know Christ and know that he's delivered you from your sin, are you running to him quickly? The first moment you realize you're being tempted, the first moment you realize you're struggling, are you running to him, crying out an honest prayer, whether it's lamenting the pain, lamenting the temptation, being honest with him about the hardship, not putting on a pretense to him in prayer, he knows, but being honest with him about where we are and then asking him for his grace upon grace upon grace to get us through that moment. Friends, do you know this morning that you have a high priest who is able to sympathize with you in your weakness because in every respect he's been tempted as you are, yet without sin? Are you able to, this week, approach his throne of grace with confidence to find the mercy and grace you need in your time of need? Friends, Jesus came to rescue you from your sin and to walk with you through the hardships of life. Let's ask him to do that this week. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your grace. Those are words that are easy to say, but Lord, I pray that you would let that be true of our hearts. We think about being a people redeemed, that Lord, that we would understand the wonder of this. That Christ, God eternal himself, second person of the Trinity, came as a baby, walked through all the experiences of life that we have walked through, but he did so in order to be able to die in our place, to rescue us from our sins, to walk with us, and all these things he did it to bring glory to God. Lord, help us not lose wonder at Emmanuel, God with us. Help us not lose wonder at the incarnation, lose wonder at the truth of who Jesus is, that he's fully God, but he is fully man. And I pray this week, O oh Lord, that as we think about those things, you would fill our hearts with wonder to you. We'd also fill our hearts with hope. Lord, do you know what each of these precious brothers and sisters is walking through? You know the pain that a lot of them have been carrying this week? You know the fears that they've been carrying. You know the temptations that they've been bombarded with. You know the temptations they've fallen to, the sins they've committed. Lord, you know everything that's happened in each one of our hearts. And Lord, I pray this week we would be a people who don't keep you at a distance. But Lord, we ask you to be near. We ask you to give us your grace upon grace. To rescue us from our sin. To rescue us from the power of sin. And to be the help we need. Thank you, Lord, for being willing to take hold of us. Thank you for willing to take up our calls. And I pray we'll be a people this week who are experiencing you do that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I ask you to stand as we close the service in song this morning? We're going to worship. We're going to sing how deep the Father's love for us. And I hope these won't just be words we sing, but I hope they'll be truths that we, we ponder. This is our act of worship as we proclaim Christ's wounds have paid my ransom. That's another way of saying redemption. We're going to proclaim in song together as a people of God that his wounds have paid our ransom. But let's also ponder the question in this song we're going to ask, why should I gain from his reward? Because we are such recipients of grace, I think sometimes we lose the wonder of that. Why should we gain from his reward? And the answer to the song is, I cannot give an answer. Why would God set his affections on me and on you and turn our wayward hearts to him? His sovereign grace is all we can say. So let's rejoice in his grace this morning as we sing these truths together. How deep the Father's love. How deep the Father's love for me.
close us in prayer, I want us to say out loud this declaration of what we've studied this morning, this truth of why must the Redeemer be truly human. So, Joe, if you can pop that answer back up, our main idea for us for the morning. Why must the Redeemer be truly human? See the answer. We'll say it out loud together, friends. By being truly human, the Redeemer could die to rescue us from our sin and help us in our weakness. Father, thank you for your grace that we have just sung about that deep love for us where you have rescued us from our sin, from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin that you have given us, just the grace gift of you holding us. And I pray we'd rejoice in that this week and see you growing us and sanctifying us all for your glory, Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and have a great Sunday afternoon. Five.